Our scripture lesson comes to us today from the gospel account of St. Luke, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 25 and reading through verse 37. Hear now the word of the Lord. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I was talking with a friend of mine this, well, the week before last, and he asked me what I thought about being appointed here to Bluff Park and how Bluff Park was changing me. I think he was fishing around for the notion of being appointed to a big church and wanted to know how that was going to affect my personality. And I told him that I didn't think it was changing me at all. But then I started thinking about it. Y'all are still bringing me food, so I'm pretty sure I have gained about 10 pounds since coming here. And the other thing that I thought about is I'm wearing a new suit this morning. Now, look, I got, I got to tell you, see, for 21, where's my, 21 years, I've only had one suit. If you go back and you look at our engagement photographs, you will see that suit. If you see any photographs from when I was commissioned a provisional elder, you'll see that suit. Again, for my ordination, you'll see that suit. Every wedding and funeral I have done for 21 years, you will see that suit. And Melissa agreed it was time to retire that suit. <laughs> so I got this one when I had to come in on board, right? I found it on clearance at Dillard's, it's pretty awesome. But now that I am wearing a new suit, standing up on a large chancel, being broadcast live stream to who knows where. So not only have you packed 10 pounds on me, you've also made me a televangelist in the course of one week. <laughs> I want to appreciate that. I also want to share with you that several of you have asked me what I prefer to be called, and thank you so much. I, I so dearly do appreciate the, the respect that you're offering. But I'm going to tell you the same thing I've told those. My mama named me Kevin. Now, my granny had another name for me that I will not say right here, but if you look specifically in the King James Version of the Scriptures and look under 
the animal that Jesus rode in on to Jerusalem. <laughs> That's what she called me. Uh, I would prefer Kevin. Melissa has some other names for me that can't be found in Scripture. Uh, so Kevin will work just fine. Thank you so much. We, we worry a lot about what we're called, don't we? I mean, we, we, we do. And there is a social quagmire of making sure that we address people the right way. When we're younger, perhaps when we're in school, we show respect by calling our elders Mr. or Ms. and say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, sir, no, ma'am. We go through several different titles in our lives. Some of us are known by our profession. Some of us are known in other ways, such as mother or father or grandmother or father or a title that is ascribed to us within the church. We have all of these different categories that we can classify ourselves by. We can classify ourselves according to our political affiliations. We can classify ourselves according to our, our social groups and our social interactions and our community interests. We have a variety of ways that we are known. And we can't help but bring that oftentimes into our faith without necessarily realizing it. We form opinions and we look for scriptures to help support our opinions. Not necessarily anything wrong with that. But the scripture lesson for today does offer us something to consider. You see, we, we, we may recognize this passage as Jesus telling a parable, and that's exactly what it is. Jesus is telling a parable. And every parable, regardless of where it is located in, in any of the Gospels, seeks to do the same thing. It seeks to teach those who hear it, with ears to hear and hearts open to receive it, something more about the kingdom of God. Something that Jesus tells in a story to help us understand and grab a hold of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God that has broken into the world, but is not quite yet in the fullness that it will be when Christ returns. The way that the kingdom of God is different than the everyday life that we know. How, as Paul puts it, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. But yet, every parable that Jesus tells is also within a context. And we do well not to divorce it from that context. Because sometimes Jesus tells a parable as he's preaching a sermon. And the parable is in the context of him gathered before a multitude. Sometimes Jesus tells a parable when he's talking with his disciples and they've asked him a question. And sometimes, like the parable today, Jesus speaks it in answer to a question that someone has given him to kind of test him. This lawyer has come to test Jesus and to ask him a question. And before we start getting too much on that term lawyer, there are some things that lawyers in the time of Jesus Christ did that might be kind of sort of conducive to how we think of lawyers in our time, but not really. Lawyers in Jesus's time were experts that had studied the law of Moses. They were there to advise the priests and the council the interpretation of the law of Moses, because remember, in Jesus' day and time, there was no such thing as separation of church and state. The law of the temple was the law of the land, so long as it did not conflict with Roman law that was established in Judea. Hence the reason why when they brought Jesus before Pilate, Pilate said, he hasn't broken any of my laws. Go and deal with him according to your laws, because the law of Moses Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
That was also the law of the land with about another 350 thrown in for good measure. This expert in the law asked Jesus, what must be done to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies to him, well, you're the legal expert here. You're the one that has studied the law. What do you see there? He quotes the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, okay, what's the question? Go do it. But the lawyer asks him, yeah, but I need you to define for me what does neighbor mean. There's a classification, and there's a title there. There's a name that's implied. What does that mean? And we miss the fact that Luke tells us that it's not just that the lawyer is wanting Jesus to define neighbor. It's to justify himself. Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus to define who neighbor is. Because you see, the lawyer already had an idea, an idea as to what constitutes a neighbor and what doesn't. He wants Jesus to affirm it, or he at least wants to see how Jesus measures up with what he already holds, what he already believes. And he's got a lot of, of backing there to form that opinion. There's the teaching of the rabbis that have been going on for a little bit of time. There's the Babylonian Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud, the historical writings, the writings of the priests, what we might call commentaries on Scripture. Writings that say things such as, Someone who is truly a follower of God upon seeing a Samaritan walking down the road will cross to the other side to avoid contact. Teaching that says things like, one who is a true follower of God will not go near a Samaritan even to bring them closer to the Torah. That's how badly we don't like Samaritans. We don't like Samaritans because it goes all the way back to when the United Kingdom of Israel was divided into the northern and southern kingdoms, and I know we don't have time to unpack all of that this morning, but that's where it goes back. It goes back a little ways. So when we understand Jesus' parable, who is speaking, to whom is it being spoken, and it sits in labor, and it's setting in life, then all of a sudden this parable starts to bubble up more than just the question of, well, what's being a good neighbor? Because Jesus, Jesus could have answered this lawyer however he chose. He could have simply said to him, a neighbor is one to whom you show mercy. Jesus could have said that a neighbor is every single person that you meet because every single human being on the face of the planet is made in the same divine image of God. Jesus could have answered it any way he wanted to. And even in the parable, he could have filled in that blank of who is my neighbor with whatever he wanted to, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, as we would say, oh, he went there. Who is my neighbor? Where there's a priest and a Levite, a leader of the church, and what we would call an elder and a deacon. They were walking down the road and they wouldn't stop and help but a Samaritan. 
And not only did he talk about a Samaritan, he made the Samaritan an example of the righteousness of God juxtaposed to a priest and a Levite. I guarantee you, now I wasn't there, but I guarantee you when Jesus said and a Samaritan went and took care of him, there was a gasp from the folks that had gathered around. We really want to read this parable and we want to see ourselves as being called to be the Samaritan and that's where we want to leave it. And you are absolutely right. That is exactly what Jesus is telling us. Go and do likewise. But Jesus is calling us to see ourselves as the lawyer, as the ones who already have studied the scriptures, as the ones who have been in Sunday school classes and Bible studies and small groups, as the one who, God bless y'all, open my daily devotion and read it every morning that Mike started. The ones who know or who claim to know who Jesus is and what the kingdom of God stands for. He's asking us to see ourselves as the lawyer and asking Jesus to justify our own opinions and our own prejudices and our own understandings. When Christ sends us out into the world to invite the least, the last, and the lost to be a part of a table of grace. For 2,000 years, we have asked just who is our neighbor? And the answer consistently remains the same. Who do you see? You see, it's wonderful. It's wonderful that we have titles and names and labels because it helps us keep a handle on this crazy world that we're in. I, I, I used to think that I had a busy schedule before. Now then it takes three calendars and nine people to help me keep up with it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful that we have so many ways of understanding ourselves. And God has gifted us and graced us with so many talents. But there's a problem with labels. You see, if I only remember that Debbie is the chair of the SPRC. Then I can forget that she's Debbie. And if you only remember that I'm a pastor, you can forget that I'm Kevin. And if I only go by the labels and the categories and the descriptions that are used, then I can forget that behind every label, every category, every description, and every title, there is a human being that has been made in the very same image of God that I have been. Some of them know that. Some of them have yet to understand. And the calling that Christ is giving is to expand our understanding of neighbor. To understand that the Great Commission, the thing that is in every church's mission statement, no matter how it is worded, to go out and to serve the world, literally means serve the world. It doesn't change our convictions. It doesn't change our opinions. It doesn't change our deeply held beliefs. But what it does challenge is the way we see other people. You will not 
look into the eyes of another individual this week that God does not love. You've probably heard that before. I want to give you another one with it. You will not look into the eyes of another individual this week that you and I are not called to love in the name of Jesus Christ. I read a quote a few weeks ago, and I had to chew on it for a while, and then after I chewed on it for a while, I realized it was going to make it into a sermon. Now, I didn't know it was going to make it into this sermon, but here we go. The quote says, the real test of Christianity is not how much we love Jesus. The real test of Christianity is how do we love Judas? And that got me. Another human being made in the same image of God. So for us this day, we hear the word Samaritan and we go, ah, biblical group of people not really sure who they are. Who would you fill that blank in with? If Jesus was telling you or me this parable, who would Jesus put there to be our shock, to be our call to understanding? Would it be a group? Would it be a category? Would it be a a, a party? Would it be a person? Who would go there? Because whoever would go there is also the same person that Jesus is telling us to go and love likewise. The lawyer, you don't ever want to justify yourself in front of Christ. Christ justifies us, not the other way around. The lawyer set himself up good for that one. And unfortunately, he's not the only one. So have I. And in love and respect, so have you. The one who shows mercy is the neighbor. We are called to go and do likewise. Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And send us forth to do just that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, my name is Kevin Payne, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining with us in our podcast of our worship celebration, the sermon this past week. I pray that you found it a blessing and that it enriched your life. If you are ever in our area and would like to join with us in person, we are located at 733 Valley Street here in Hoover, Alabama. Our service time is 10 a.m., and we would love to meet you. I pray you have a blessed week and hope to see you soon. Bye now.